You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest here with me today, Diane Camacho of Legal Management and Operations Consulting. Hi, Diane. Hi, thank you for having me. Tell me, I do not know much of your background story. How did you get in this business? I got into this business because my mother was in this business. So she was a legal secretary and then became a legal manager and retired as a legal manager. So I wanted to get a good job that had benefits that I didn't have to go to college for. So I became a legal secretary and moved my way up to management and in 2013, started my own company. So it'll be 10 years. So I've been working with attorneys for about 35 years. So legal management and operating consulting, this is based on numerous years of experiencing actually managing law firms. Yes. Why switch to consulting? Well, it was, it was a, you know, a pivotal point, you know, most of us have some kind of pivotal point, right? So there was an opportunity for me to either continue working in large firms or go out on my own. And I always felt that there was a need for people with a lot of experience like myself to help solo and small law firms, but they really couldn't afford us full time and they didn't need us full time. So I felt like there was a market. So I said, okay, well, let me try it for a year. And then you try it for another year and you try it for another year. And that's really how I got started. I like being able to help multiple people. I like having a a personal relationship with the owners. And I like getting in there, getting them fixed and getting out. So we aren't long term. We get you fixed and then we set you up and then we're gone. So that myself and the consultants on my team have all spent our careers in law firms. And we all like that aspect. I love that. Tell me. In your experience, and so you've been operating on your own, this consulting group for a decade now, what are the top three to five problems that small law firm owners come to you for help to solve? I'm making more money, but I'm not taking more money home. I'm the new managing partner and the managing partner, the old managing partner is retiring and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't want to do it the way they've done it. I am working at a big law firm and I want to start my own firm. I have all the business, but I don't know what else to do. So those are probably the top three that we have right now. Awesome. What about that? I am generating more revenue, but I'm not making more profit. What's the underlying issue there typically? They don't really understand their statistics. They don't have a good grip on their numbers and their realization rates and their utilization rates and they are working with people that are from a different generation and they don't want to work as much as maybe the people that are in their 50s and 60s do so there's a a disconnect between what you should pay an attorney who's working 1800 hours a year and you should pay an attorney that's working 1100 hours a year And that's really important to understand that and to make sure that you are not subsidizing other people's income because they are, they have a different expectation than you do. So really looking at the compensation plans is is one of the main things. The other is, is sometimes just not doing things efficiently and trying to do everything themselves. 
as a solo or maybe two attorneys doing the, everything themselves and they don't spend enough time on their billable work and their marketing. That I see that as such a common problem. It really comes down to, to me, like the real underlying cause of that problem is that most attorneys are incredibly intelligent people with very poor business acumen. Mm -hmm. Because obviously it's not taught in law school. Actually, it's business acumen is not taught anywhere except for business school. Yes. So you can you can learn it on the job. Mm -hmm. Most people who work in small, small businesses, like you mentioned, a solo or very small law firm, they can't even learn business acumen on the job more often than not because where are they going to learn it from? Mm -hmm. Same people as them. Mm -hmm. You have to go to seminars, read good books, listen to podcasts like this one and so many other, and then you'll develop it. But it takes many, many, many years. So what I really love about consultants, especially the concept that you just described where you said, we get in, we get the job done, or you said, we fix things, and then we go. That's a great model for me because although I'm sure you charge a decent amount of money for what you do, it is a lot cheaper than spending years treading water. Yes. With so many headaches and not knowing how to fix things. Yes. My partner and I just had a conversation about consultants today. He is looking to bring in yet another consultant. We have a few. And I said, well, for this consultant, what three problems do you want him to help us solve? And this guy is incredibly experienced. He comes from within our industry. Mm -hmm. He sold a company for $40 million. We're nowhere near that valuation as ever time of this recording in 2023. He had a tremendous size team. We know his team. They send us some of their referral business and they're really good. And he sold that business no more than 24 months ago, give or take. Mm -hmm. And he now does some consulting. He is well off, but he is like, I'm not ready to retire. He's in his 50s. But he's like, I charge 500 bucks an hour for consulting. And like, what problems would he help us solve? And my partner like outlined this problem, this problem, and this problem. I'm like, man, if he could help us solve just this one problem that we've been trying to solve for three years now, mm -hmm. I would be happy to pay him for 10 hours, 20 hours, 100 mm -hmm. hours, 500 hours. Mm -hmm. A thousand hours, because that would still be a lot cheaper than trying to solve it for another three years. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I love that. I especially love solving the revenue and profitability problems. And I think that when you look at most small law firms, we talked about this before I hit the record button. I had Joshua Lennon from Theo, one of the executives from Clio team, and he said that most lawyers are incredibly inefficient at making money, mm -hmm. doing about 1.7 hours of billable work per day. And that's an astonishingly low number, but that's what the average is, which is insane. Just helping them focus on the right thing and giving up most other things. Yes. Joshua, like, like, well, what do they do with the remaining six hours or seven hours per day? He is like, oh, admin stuff. <laughs> Biz dev, admin stuff, billing. <laughs> and just insanity, how much time and energy being expended on things that they, attorneys, shouldn't expand on. But I think it all goes back to that not having strong business acumen. And I'm guessing through your consulting services, you definitely teach them some of it. Yes, they learn by what we're doing because we go in and do the work. So if we say that you need to beef up your 
You need to figure out your statistics. You need to know your numbers. We go in there and we create the reports and we show them and we talk to them and we talk through the process. Just because you're, quote, busy doesn't mean you need another person. You may just need to have the people that you are paying work. So that is, you know, and if if they're not willing to work, and, you know, quite frankly, many of the younger associates are really willing to take less money are willing to say, okay, I understand if I want to make this salary, I'm going to work, you know, 1800 hours. If I only want to work a thousand hours, this is going to be my salary. It's very easy to say it, but they don't talk about it. Right. So that's, that's one thing. It's really talking them through your widget is an hour, whether you're flat fee or not, because we always figure out how many hours it's going to take and then make a flat fee. So really understanding their widget and what the, what the cost of that widget is and what their, their realization rate, what their operating ratio, those kinds of things they don't really know. But when we start talking to them and we start showing them, then that absolutely trains them on what to be looking for in the future, what reports to be set up and they should be looking at each month and and those kinds of things. A lot of it is things they don't need to know. They don't need to know how to choose software. They need somebody that is using legal software, not their neighbor or the person down the street, to really understand software and really understand what they need for their practice and then search for them and their practice. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. Clio is a great product, but Clio is definitely not the one-size-fits-all. So yeah, I get, I get those it. kinds of things. So there's, a, there's a difference, you know, about what you train them to do and, and leave them with and what you do for them and then leave them in a better place. Yeah. What really caught my attention like in the last sentences that you said is that they do not need to know how to do everything. Mm-hmm. This is a really easy concept to grasp and an incredibly hard concept to implement mm-hmm. or firm owners. Mm-hmm. Very small. And when I say very small, like under 10 attorneys should be considered to be a very small mm-hmm. law firm. And what they see consistently with those small law firm owners, they wear five, mm-hmm. six, seven, eight different hats. Mm-hmm. They're the lawyer and the CEO mm-hmm. and the chief marketing officer mm-hmm. and the HR director mm-hmm. and the financial director because they look at the statements and try to create their own. And often enough, they're the billing person also mm-hmm. who is nagging other attorneys to make sure that they bill on time. And so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is creating a major friction point for growth of any law firm. It's yes. you, the owner, or more often the owners, because many a times in a 10 or even eight or even six person law firm, there mm-hmm. are multiple owners. And because none of them have business background, mm-hmm. there's a lot of friction because they're focused on all the right, all their own things. Right, right. And they don't have somebody they trust. That's a big thing. They don't want to, well, I can't have them do that because I really, you know, I don't want them to see this or um, I don't really, for instance, recruiting. So we don't, we are a recruiting agency, but we recruit for our clients when we're doing other things for them. So we're doing a little bit of recruiting for a firm and two people from the firm, myself, and then a gentleman on my team who does the kind of initial screening put together the candidates. We interviewed three of them. And then I said to him, 
to the managing partner. Do you want to meet them? Do you want to do a Zoom with them? And he goes, well, if that's what you think I should do. I said, you don't have to. It's just an idiot check. You know, you get on the call and you see if this person is a reasonable person and whether you like them or not. And if you're comfortable with us making that decision, you don't have to meet them. You don't have to spend your time doing that. He goes, I don't want to do it. And I said, okay, you don't have to do it. But he trusts us. He trusts me. So when you don't have people that you trust, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to to do that. And that's why having somebody like my team come in who you immediately trust, we talk the language. We I operate my business just like a law firm. I use Clio. I use net documents. I, you know, I'm exactly like a law firm. And we've it's very obvious that we know what we're doing. They automatically trust us where they don't necessarily trust people in their office. And most of us in legal management have come up through the ranks. Most of us started out as a secretary or an office clerk or something. Why do you think they don't trust their own employees? Because they're taught to not trust. They're trained to not trust. They're trained to litigate everything. That's such a difficult life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're trained to see the other side and argue about it. I never thought about it that way because my methodology, my approach, my thinking about this, and I've been an employer for 23 years now, mm-hmm. started my first business back in 2000, mm-hmm. will always find the right people, get them trained up if they need to be trained up, and do your best to get out of their way mm-hmm. fast as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is that through training, attorneys think about things the exact opposite way. Mm-hmm. Always verify what they're doing, which makes it mm-hmm. almost impossible to grow the business if you're always verifying and looking over someone else's shoulders. Because there are so many someone else's that with shoulders you need to look over. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It's hard for the, it's hard for the, this, and, and many solos are solos because they choose to be solos. They want to know everything. They want to be in control of everything. And that's fine. That's fine. But if you're going to have a life and have an active practice, you need to figure out what you can delegate and then delegate it. And if you need to, you, you know, figure it out what you, what you're, what you like to do, some of them like to do IT, so they're going to do the IT, whether you know I tell them don't spend your time or not. Some of them like the finance, so they're going to do their own billing and reconciling, and it doesn't matter who tells them what, they're going to do that. But there are always, always things that can make them more efficient, even if it's just utilizing their technology properly. Most of the time, firms have the right technology, they just are not using it because they get trained on how to enter time and bill but not about how to manage their cases with the software. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Do you think that solos who choose to be solos are actually in control or their business is actually controlling them? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think that most business owners, our businesses kind of control us in some sense. Yeah. So I've been, I bought equity in this company and grow law firm five and a half years ago mm-hmm. and I am rapidly working. This is the first year when I'm rapidly working toward removing myself out of 80% of responsibilities that they have mm-hmm. so that they can focus on very few things where I have unique abilities. 
mm-hmm. and everything else can be done by somebody else. And I'm, I have hired people who I deeply trust, mm-hmm. and I know very well that they're going to do the job 80 to 90% as well as I would, mm-hmm. and perfectly fine with it. Mm-hmm. Also, if they love me and they think they love me, they're going to be here three years from now, and by then, they're going to do the job better than I ever did. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. They're going to slowly get there. And you probably have manuals and instructions and uh, examples, and law firms don't traditionally have an operating manual. And if they have an operating manual, it's very, very old. It's not being kept up to date. So it's difficult, you know, that's the other piece is, you know, did you write up your billing instructions so that the person that's doing your billing at the end of the month knows what you want and how you do it? You know, so when we leave, we, we you know, if we're helping them set up their billing process, they're going to have it written down so that they can hand it to somebody and it's consistently correct. So those are the things that they don't spend the time and the money on that can get them in a problem when they don't have somebody that they trust to do it the way that that person wants to do it because everybody's going to do it different unless there's an instruction. Yeah, we've actually in the last like year or so, uh, two years, three years, we have simplified procedure manual development and every repeatable process we now just document using video. Mm-hmm. So we use Vimeo extension and our Google Chrome. Mm-hmm. So every process that you do more than once, we want you to document it. And the way that we document it, you share your screen mm-hmm. and you record a video. That's right. The way that I do billing is I enter into the system. Yep. And there's always that caveat that over years, the system may change the way that it looks, or you may replace the system. Mm-hmm. And somebody goes into the training manual and they don't see the system that they're looking at on their other screen, they can tell you, hey, this doesn't match up. And then you go and you record a new video and usually those manuals are up to five minutes long. It's very rare that you have like a 20 minute recording. Mm-hmm. Those things we do, they're mechanical, just to get into this, enter, 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 submit, done. Yes, yes, Move. yes. Mm-hmm. So you teach your clients all of those things, whatever applies to their business. Mm-hmm. Do you follow up with them like a year after they have worked with you or you have worked with them rather and just ask them about the outcomes that they experience in their lives? You I know, I know. I should do a lot of things in life, but uh, yes, I, I. In some instances, I do, and in some instances, it doesn't happen. It depends on. It doesn't depend on anything. It's just one of the things that I need to do better. Mm-hmm. Do you have an executive assistant? I do. Okay. Fabulous. Yes. Right. Maybe like outsource reminder of the task. You know, on that one year anniversary or six months anniversary, you follow up with this person and then that person and just see like, yep. on a scale of one to 10, how much of an improvement have you seen? Mm -hmm. It's a 10 or it's an eight or it's a six. Why is it a six? What would have made it a 10 or an eight or a nine? So Mm -hmm. we, we like asking those questions because that's a, although it's a flawed quantitative way of looking at things, it still is pretty good measure when you ask a client, like on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our performance over the last 30 days? So we ask our clients that question every single month in the monthly performance review toward the end of the meeting. We're like, how would you rate our performance? And they're like, it's been great. It's a 10, amazing. See you in a month or six. Oh, what would have made it a nine? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And like, well, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, anytime any one of our account managers gets a score or rating below eight, there's a l- alarm that goes off in the management's office and they're like, oh, we got to look at this. There's a problem. So I'll create it. Anyway, just yeah, we just, do that at the end. We do do that, that at the end of an assignment. We kind of say thank you. And, and then here's our little after support. But it's the year later that I haven't integrated yet. Yeah, yeah, that that could be very interesting for the business, and it also might create some additional opportunities to serve the existing client, and also give you that closed feedback loop system where you just like you know how well it's working out. Because I am always curious because of the nature of what we do for our clients. It's like, what's the ROI? What's the ROI? What's the ROI? What's the ROI? And but ROI is just one of the measures, right? Quality of life is another one. I always think about better business equals better life. It's not always exactly that way, but more often than not. If you go from super frustrated, super stressed out, super overworked, working 70 hours a week, making, I'm just going to throw a number out there, 200,000, while your buddy from law school, you graduated same year, makes so much money, they have a site in the third home and taking fancy because then you know they're not doing 70 hours a week. They're not 10 times smarter than you are, mm-hmm. they're not 10 times more productive, but they do so much better. Like, why? Answer or like that's quality of life, right? So we're always looking at those things, and I'm just thinking like, how do we rate? How do we rank on this? And how do we improve this? How do we improve that quality of life through improving business outcomes? And that's exactly what you do. Mm -hmm. And that can be priceless. Yes, that's awesome. Um, How do people connect with you? I have a website, and I have an email. I'm it's dlccs.com is my website. And my email is diane at dlccs.com. I almost so forgot. What does that stand for? DLCCS. I want to ask you about it. I know it's DLC Consulting Services, LLC. That's what it stands for, DLC Consulting Services. But what does DLC stand for? Oh, Diane Louise Camacho. Yeah, I wasn't very creative. Good, good enough. I don't think anybody will listen. The least creative people when it comes to naming their companies are lawyers. I'm always like, like, who else names their business after themselves in any other profession? Like, really? It's starting to happen. It's starting to happen that they're using different names because they're starting to think about the succession planning that they that they didn't really didn't think about. It's not just about succession planning. So let me let me give you an example. So. Imagine two attorneys graduate from law school on the same day. They go in the same practice area. They both do family law. Both of them are in Chicago where I am. One names her law firm, divorcelawyerchicago.com as Divorce Lawyer LLC. And the other one is Berkson and Camacho. Mm Over time, which one do you think is going to do financially better if everything else, every other factor is held constant? Well, the one that that SEO works. <laughs> that right, because find them. Well, it's just like like if you are a prospective client for a divorce attorney and you look at these two names, which one you're going to gravitate toward? The one that says divorce lawyer, because you understand exactly what it is that they do. So mm-hmm. I've seen this time and time and again where handful of younger lawyers would not follow the herd and would actually name their law firm after what it does 
and they do so much better just because it points their attention in the right direction. We're divorce lawyers. We're estate planning lawyers. We're criminal defense lawyers. We're not naming the firm after our name. We're naming it after what people look for. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to align all of our branding, all of our advertising, all of our marketing with this so we get more business. Mm-hmm. So we do not create a name. We do not create a brand that, first of all, struggles with succession planning. But more of, more importantly, it's not just about succession. You're not going to get as much business. So TBA in there. They honestly good okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.